Welcome to the Nation's Church Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. I had a message that I want to share with you all today. It's called Don't Mistake Mara. Ooh, it's going to become clear. Don't mistake Mara. And we're going to read together from the book of Exodus chapter 15. I'm going to start reading at verse 22. Hope you're still standing in cork. I saw you, Pastor Roland, <laughs> sitting down. Gosh, <laughs> come on, let's read. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea. Then they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and they found no water. Who knows that's the problem? Now, when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for the waters of Marah were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink, Moses? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made a statue and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His sight, give ear to His commandments and keep all His statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim where there were 12 wells of water and 70 palm trees. So they camped there by the waters. Can we give God thanks for His glorious Word? And you can take your seats. You can take your seats. Interesting passage of Scripture that I've just read to uh, you all. And the background uh, to this text, in case you're unaware, is that God's people have just been delivered. It's been the deliverance moment. They have just that minute been delivered from centuries of slavery under Egyptian rule. We know the Exodus story, right? We understand it. There was the plagues that came against Israel that culminated in the 10th plague, the worst plague, the plague against the firstborn. But God's people were miraculously saved through that last plague as the angel of death passed over those who had the blood of the lamb applied to the door and lintel. This sounding familiar to you guys. And in that 10th plague, Pharaoh finally relented and he let all of Israel go. But of course, after he let them leave, he changed his mind and he came after Israel with all the might of Egypt, the armies, the the chariots and so on and so forth. And, And they chased after Israel until Israel found themselves in a position they were trapped. They had the Red Sea in front of them. They could not progress any further. And they had the angry Egyptian army behind them, stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know what I'm talking about? But then Moses heard from the Lord and he raised his rod and he struck the waters of the Red Sea. The Red Sea parted and Israel was able to cross over the Red Sea on dry ground. Egypt followed them into those waters, but the waters receded over the Egyptian army and they were destroyed. So this was a mighty miracle for the nation of Israel. It was really the birthplace of that nation. And all of that history went down in the book of Exodus um, chapter 14. You can read it there. But here we've just read from Exodus chapter 15. They've been walking now around the wilderness on the other side of the Red Sea for three days. 
And here's the problem, they can't find water. They're tired, they're exhausted, and they find themselves now in a place called Mara. And Mara did actually have water, but the water was undrinkable. The water was bitter. And the name Mara actually means bitter. It's a place of hardship. It's a place of pain. It's a, it's a place of great challenge. And surely it was a great challenge for Israel. Can you imagine the cries of the children, three days, no water? Can you imagine the panic of the parents? You know, three days, no water for their entire family. This was actually an emergency. Israel found themselves in a place of emergency. Now, if you look at the text again very carefully, you jump down to verse 27, which is the final verse of the chapter, and for one single sentence only, the Bible briefly introduces us to a different place, a place called Elim. It says that they moved on from Mara, this bitter place, now to a place called Elim, and Elim is pretty much the opposite of Mara. Mara's bitter, but Elim is sweet. Let's read about it again to refresh your memory. In verse 27, it says, Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 wells of water and abundance and, and 70 palm trees. So they camped there beside the waters. So Elim's this place, there's 12 wells. Of, they've come from Mara, bitter, no water. But here, Elim, 12 wells. That means an abundant supply, 70 palm trees. You understand, those palm trees would have had sweet dates to eat. Those palm trees would have meant shade to sit in. Elim was this wonderful place. Elim was this resourceful place. So here we are in the one text. We've got these two places. One is hard and one is cruisy. You're following me so far. One represents a very difficult and challenging and bitter time and the other represents abundance and ease and does that not look just a little bit like this crazy journey we call life? <laughs> In life, isn't it true that we walk through all sorts of seasons? Do I have an amen? Some are harder than others. <laughs> We all have our elims, don't we? We all have our moments where things are going well. And I'm keeping my head above water. And I feel like I'm coping and I've got it all together. And it's those moments when life is joyful and happy. I'm getting married. My knight in shining armour. We're going to live happily ever after. It's a beautiful moment. You know, we birth that baby. We look at that baby's face for the first time in our lives and we're like, this is the most perfect baby I have ever seen in my life. This child will never do anything wrong. I know it. <laughs> you know, we get the job and we meet our boss for the first time and we're like, my boss is the best boss. We're going to have the most amazing. Yep. Are you following with me? We have our early moments, don't we? We have our moments when we're high on life and it's great and they're wonderful, but the reality is we also have our maras. The seasons of life that just are a bit bitter and a bit hard and, and challenging and, you know, maybe our knight in shining armour lost his shine. <laughs> or in my case, he gained a shiny head <laughs> when he lost all his hair. <laughs> 
needs a lot of sweat cloths going on here. <laughs> That's the truth. <laughs> but isn't it true that we hit up in life on real challenges, real issues, real hardships, whether it's finance or health or relationships or things that happen that blindside us? We have our earlims, but we also have our maras. Psalm 84 actually is a journey psalm. Psalm 84, it actually calls us pilgrims. If you read that, it's talking about our life in the Lord is a, is a life committed to pilgrimage. You understand today that we're on a journey with God. And we understand that in our life as pilgrims, Earth is not our final destination. Heaven is our home, amen? Heaven is the final stop on this journey. But embedded into Psalm 84, if you read it, is this Mara equivalent. It's something similar to Mara. We're going to read together from verse 4. It says, blessed are those who dwell in your house. Bless you. Blessed are those who sneeze in your house. <laughs> They are blessed. They are ever praising the Lord. <laughs> blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. There's that word, that word. Whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Say strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. You can hear the journey language in this psalm. And it says, as they go through the valley of Baca. Do you know that the valley of Baca is not a physical place? I can't take you to an ancient map or to Google Earth or anything and, and find the valley of Baca for you and show you there it is. It's not a geographical place. It's actually poetic language. The valley of Baca means a place of tears or a place of weeping. So here Psalm 84 is saying that in this life as a pilgrim, you're going to have your valleys of Baca. You're going to have and traverse through your seasons of tears and weeping. It's your maras and so on and so forth. This is just the reality of life as a pilgrim. We're broken people in a broken world. And so if you go and you ask people on the street, if I was to take a survey in this room right now, which one do you prefer? Do you prefer Mara or do you prefer Elim? Do you want the Valley of Baca or do you want Elim? It's a no-brainer, right? What's your answer? Elim, 100%. It's like, give me Elim every single day of the week. But like I said, this message is called Don't Mistake Mara. Because there's more tomorrow than meets the eye. And if we're not careful, we'll mistake Mara. If we're not careful, when we find ourselves in our Mara moments, we'll mistake it and we'll think that it is a God-forsaken place. Sometimes the temptation rises in us to say, this is too bitter. This is too painful. God can't be here. God can't be in it. And if we're not careful when we find ourselves in the bitter season, we ourselves can come bitter. Just like the Israelites, when they found themselves at Marah, their praise turned into complaints. 
Literally three days earlier, they were praising the Lord. If you go back to the top of Exodus 15, you will hear their sounds of rejoicing. They said, I will sing to the Lord. He is highly exalted. The horse and the rider he has hurled into the sea. Such was their praise after the deliverance. But here, just a few days later, they're complaining. Three days ago, they were full of faith and trust in God. They were high on His miracle and now that has gone. And we can be like that when the bitterness of what we are facing silences our praise. Starts to erode faith. Starts to erode our trust in the Lord. And if we're not careful, we cannot even draw wrong conclusions about the nature of God and who He is and what He's like because of the hard thing that we're facing when things are perhaps not shifting. And the stronghold perhaps hasn't been torn down. And the thing you've prayed for, you have not yet seen the breakthrough. Maybe you're working on your marriage, but it's super tough right now and all these things. And we can start to question God and wonder if he's even for us at all. But I want to tell you today, I'm here to tell you today, and even in Cork, there's more Tamara than meets the eye. God wants to move even in your Mara. God is... God does not cease to be powerful. He does not cease to be able. He does not cease to be present, even if you happen to find yourself in a Mara moment today. And in Psalm 84, when we talked about, when the, when the Psalm talks about this valley of Bacar, you notice it was not a place they stayed in, it was a place they passed through. The place of weeping, the place of tears, it was never supposed to be a dwelling place for those who are on pilgrimage with the Lord, you understand. It's a place, it's a season to pass through. And the encouragement of that text is that as we pass through, we go from strength to strength. We go from strength to strength till we see God in Zion. That is the promise of this psalm. It doesn't matter what what Mara or Bakar you might be in, it is not your end. It's not the dwelling place for the Christian, for those who are in Christ. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And Mara cannot talk to your identity. And Mara cannot touch your calling. And it certainly can't limit the power and the presence of the Lord in your life and situation. You are passing through. Amen. Turn to your neighbour and say, you're passing through. You're passing through. Amen. And so much more Tamara than meets the eye. Elim might be cushy, but God didn't move there. He moved at Mara. And, and if you go back to the text, you very quickly realise it was in Mara that God's people got to witness the miracle. It was in Mara that God's people cried out to God and actually saw Him, had the experience and the joy of answered prayer. It was in Mara that they got that experience of him turning bitter waters sweet. None of those things happened at Elim. They only happened at Mara. And in Mara, they actually received a fresh revelation of who God was. Do you know that this passage is actually the very first mention in the Bible of that name of God that we'd all probably know, the name of God, Jehovah Rapha. 
the first time they ever knew God as Jehovah Rapha, I am the Lord who heals you, was in the bitter place. Prior to that, they had not known Jehovah Rapha. They had not known Him as the healer of disease and distress and the healer of nations. That was an unknown attribute and aspect of God to them. But here the revelation comes in the bitter place. In the bitter place. What brand new revelation of God might He want to bring to you in your bitter place? What new facet of Him does He want to unveil to you? In your Mara season. These things happened at Mara. They did not happen at Elim. All they did at Elim was eat, drink, and be merry, <laughs> which appeals to our soul but does nothing much for our spirit. Mara was way harder, but it was also way deeper. They might have relaxed at Elim, which is lovely, but they grew at Mara. Amen. And maybe you're deeply challenged by a situation at work right now. Maybe you've got something going on with a colleague. Maybe it is your boss. Maybe it's hard to interrelate. It's hard to react. It's a bitter season. But who knows what God might want to do? Who knows how he might use this moment to form more of a Christ-like character in you, to love the unlovely? Who knows the miracle of restoration you might see in your workplace? Who knows the opportunities that you might see for salvation as you represent Christ in your workplace? You know, maybe you're working on your marriage. Maybe it's tough. Maybe it's hard. Maybe you feel like you can't go on, but it's a Mara moment in your life. But who knows what what God might want to do to heal your hearts? And, and as radical forgiveness is released in your marriage, maybe, maybe just a restoration comes and maybe things that you thought could never change actually change. Yeah. Actually change. You know, don't despise your Mara moments. Don't despise them. Don't mistake them. And definitely don't run away from them because if you'll let him, God will move at Mara. Yeah. It's in Mara our revelation of God deepens. And more of Christ is formed in us. It happens at Mara. James chapter 1. Many of you would know this verse from James chapter 1. It tells us, James tells us that there's a particular productivity that comes when we face trials and challenges. He says this in verse 2. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Isn't it awful? <laughs> Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, do you know today? You know (laughs) that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The good news for us today is that when we're in Christ, the challenges work for us. You know, when we're in church, we're in church, we're, when we're in Christ, you know, these Mara moments can actually work for us. What the enemy means for harm, God works it for good. When we're in Him, you know, the hard things that we face are not joy. I'm not making light on anyone's difficult situation, heaven forbid. We're not going to stand here and call it joy. But when you see the capacity of the Lord to produce through hard things, something within us that matures us and completes us so that we don't lack anything, then that is joy. 
That is actually where the joy lies. The book of Peter says similar things. It says the hard things of life refine our faith. They actually purify the, the faith that we have in our hearts. It's like the fire that burns up everything that's worthless anyway. And what is left over is pure. What is left over is gold. You know, the world goes through things and they might get bitter. But in Christ, we get to go through things that actually get better, come out better from glory to glory, from strength to strength. And so often we can find ourselves raging, raging and wrestling when we find ourselves at Mara. Just like Israel, we dissolve into a fit of complaints or am I just the only unholy person, you know, in Nations Church today, grumbling. There's this question we often ask, why God? We ask this, why God? And I think it is, it's a legitimate question. There's not a one of us that would not have asked why God at some stage over something. And, and it was legitimate for them in ex- Exodus as well. Why God would you rescue one million and more people through the Red Sea? I need to leave them without water. Like, why would you do that? Why would you save them only to bring them to this better place? And I definitely don't stand here as somebody with all the answers. I don't profess to know all the answers to human suffering and that sort of thing, but there's a few things that I do know. One of them is God is always good. Always good, always faithful. And God, if we will let Him, if we will put our faith in Him, He has a genius capacity to redeem it all. One other thing I know about God is that He sits outside of time. He's an eternal God. He's not stressed out by the ticking of the clock in the same way that you and I are stressed out by the ticking of the clock. He's an eternal God and He's given us eternal life. He allows us to be seated with Him in heavenly places for a different perspective, for a different view. And one other thing that I've really learned and thoroughly realized that the Lord is not primarily committed to our comfort. Unfortunately, he's not. He's primarily committed to our character. He's primarily committed to our calling. He's primarily committed to our maturity and our capacity to contain him on the earth and to fulfill the purposes on the earth which he's called us to. Amen. These are the primary commitments of the Lord. So I say there's nothing wrong with you just because you find yourself in Mara. There was nothing wrong with Israel. Mara was not punishment for Israel. You know, don't make Mara mean that God is not with you and God is not for you. Nothing could be further from the truth today. Nothing could be further. Everything, sorry, everyone that I know that has done anything significant for God, for his kingdom, have gone through deep and significant Mara moments. If my life was all Elim, <laughs> if my whole existence had been, you know, by those metaphoric wells and sitting under the shade of those palm trees, I reckon I'd be about an eighth of the person that I am today. I love Elim moments as much as the next person. I do. But when I reflect, it's been Mara that has made me. 
It's been Mara that has honed me. It's been Mara that has shaped me. It's been Mara that has shown me the most about who God is and how I can rely on him. It's the Mara for me of raising a son with a disability. It's the Mara for me of navigating that grief. Moments and moments and moments of grief. That's been my Mara. Mara for me of facing my own flesh and my own rejections and insecurities and fears. This has been my Mara's. My Mara's of marriage problems. You might look at PK and Chrissy. We're doing all right. Glory to God. We're doing all right now after 23 years. But we've had some Mara's. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. <laughs> at times I've walked through deep and bitter seasons, but this is my testimony that God has been so good. He has been so faithful and he has a genius capacity to make better things sweet. Genius capacity to turn the bitter sweet. So from the text with the time we've got left, if we find ourselves at Mara, what do we actually do? My first point right now, if you find yourself at Mara, this is what you need to do. Cry out to the Lord. In your own bitter season, cry out. Cry out to Jesus again and again. Sometimes in Mara, it's easier to turn to other things. It's easier to turn to friends. It's easier to turn to experiences and escapism and avoidance and all of those types of things. But the smartest thing you can do in Mara is turn to Jesus, is cry out to Him because none of those other things have what you need. They might be good to provide you some temporary relief, some temporary distraction, but they can't do anything to turn the bittersweet. Amen? Do like Moses did and cry out to the Lord. Can I say this was no polite prayer? This was no token prayer. The place was bitter for him. He's got a million more people about to die of thirst. Trust me, he cried out to the Lord. And I don't think our Maras are a place for polite prayers either. You know, I don't think, you know, our, our, our Maras are a place to just throw up some sort of a token prayer. You know, Psalm 34 is so clear. It says that he hears the cry of the righteous one. But the question is, are we actually crying out? Are we crying out? Sometimes we just throw up these passive prayers and they're not laced with real faith and real expectation. They're not laced with a heart cry that actually expects God to move. You know, it's almost like we expect God to care more about our Mara moment than we even do. Like when was the last time you really got a cry in your spirit? When was the last time you really cried out? Lord's been speaking to me so much lately about crying out. Romans 8 tells us that His Spirit within us cries Abba. That is not a passive thing. That we would, we would cry, Abba, in the Psalms, it says, this poor man cried out to you and you heard. It cried out to you and you delivered as a deer pants for the water. So my soul longs. Is, is there a cry in your heart? Where's the desperation? Where's the necessity? Do you have to have him or is he just an optional extra? 
And sometimes I think in these Mara moments, we just need to discipline ourselves and get alone with God. Put the phone somewhere else and close the door on every distraction. Cancel all the appointments. Call a fast if that's what you need to do. But with every fibre of your being, stir up some real faith and real expectation and cry out to God. Because when Moses cried out to God, that's when the bitter came sweet. That's when the divine intervention was actually unlocked. They saw the miracle enter into that situation. It started with a crying out. Another thing from the text, we've got to rely on the Lord. Don't rely on ourselves. So often we're guilty of being independent spirited. We rely on self, self-sufficient, find our own solutions rather than relying on him. We expect ourselves to be tough. We expect ourselves to hustle and figure it out. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's our pride. <laughs> Maybe it's our desire for control or our fear or these sorts of things. Maybe it's an orphan spirit. Like if I don't look after me, who will? <laughs> If I don't look after me, nobody will. That sort of thing. Whatever the reason, in Mara, we can be so tempted to rely on ourselves rather than rely on the Lord. And it would have been so easy, actually, for Moses to rely on himself. It would have been so easy for him to actually look to his rod and just say, look, I'll just use the rod. After all, that rod had a very recent history of doing pretty miraculous things with bodies of water, right? It really did. Just three days earlier, he'd struck the, the, the Red Sea with that rod and it had parted. It would be easy for him to just go to back to formula. Go back to yesterday's method. I can do this. I've got it. I'll strike the water again. Something great will happen. But we see from the text that God didn't want to use the rod this time. God showed Moses a tree. Let's read it in verse 25. It says, So he cried out to the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, that's when the waters were made sweet. I, I like Moses here. He did not rely on his own solutions. He didn't rely on people or formula or things. He actually relied on the Lord. And he found that God did a new thing for the new season. The new solution for the new problem. And I want to say that to you. Even in your bitter place, God wants to do a new thing. He has divine insight for the place that you're at, divine wisdom for the place that you're at. He knows what to do, amen? But we have to rely on Him and not on ourselves. Singers and musos can come back and join me as I bring this thing to an end. Verse 25, the Lord showed Moses a tree. The Lord showed Moses a tree. That tree from Exodus 15 is a type of the cross. It actually prophetically points us to another tree, to Calvary's tree. Calvary's tree that would permanently, irrevocably, eternally redeem every single better thing that we could ever face. It's the finished work of the cross. Amen. The finished work of the cross. Every painful situation you've found yourself in, every heartache you've ever experienced, every mistake you've ever made, 
whatever you've been through, I want to say the Lord wants to show you a tree, a fresh revelation of His cross, a fresh revelation of the fact that Jesus paid it all. He said to you, son, He said to you, daughter, it is finished. It's done. He bore your griefs. The punishment that purchased your peace was upon Him. By His stripes, you are healed. Philippians tells us that He triumphed over every principality, every power. He made a spectacle of them triumphing over them at the cross. The enemy's work is defeated in your life. It is finished. He bears the name that is above every other name. I don't care what other name is raging around your life. His name is greater. His name is higher. And there's provision in Calvary's tree to redeem and reconcile every bitter thing. Selah. (laughs) Provision in Calvary's tree to redeem and reconcile every single bitter thing that you're facing right now, that you have faced, or even that you will face. We're pilgrims passing through. Heaven is our home. And the end stop on this journey is wholeness and freedom. The end stop on this journey is victory and glory. This is the believer's hope. This is the believer's joy. This is why we're full of joy, joy unspeakable. This is why we can praise in the valley because we're passing through. It's not the end. We're passing through. And in the meantime, the pain, the heartache, if we keep our eyes on Jesus, it's working for us. These light and momentary troubles are exceeding for us. A weight of glory that far outweighs them all. Glory to God. Glory to God. Don't mistake Mara. He's present. He's powerful. He's with you. He never leaves. He never forsakes. And He's taking you through. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Nations Church podcast. For more info, please visit nationschurch.com. Thank you.